You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Day and night must scramble for a living, feed the wife and children, sing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning, Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, you can call us at 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. Or you can always email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and I'll be sure to get back to you, answer all your questions. And questions has been the name of the week. We've um, in the middle of Passover still, getting, for, getting ready tonight, actually, for the end of the holiday. We talked last week about the Seder, the beginning of the holiday, questions, children. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, we have a fantastic guest today. His name is Alan Goldsmith. He'll join us in the next segment. He runs the Jewish Renaissance Foundation. He's, I mean, his father had a shoe store. He worked in the shoe store, and from the back of that shoe store, they created basically an entire healthcare system for, for poor people, underprivileged, for public school, for, I don't know, he'll tell us all about it. I, I was reading, they serve like 60,000 people a year. He has a seat on the UN, he sends doctors around the world. It's, it's amazing what one man can do as a fascinating book, The Five Cent Miracle. We'll talk about that's really where everything starts from with him. He'll be fun. Of course, we'll get to our letter of the week. We'll see if Rabbi Goldson joins us later today. But uh, let's get back a little bit into questions. So, as we've talked about numerous times, the purpose, or one of the purposes of the Seder, the Passover Seder with the children, with the adults, is question and answer, the four questions the children ask. But the idea is to encourage lots of questions throughout the evening, because when people ask, generally speaking, they're open to listening to the answer. That's not always true, right? In class, all the time, children just want to talk and be heard. So they ask a question, and they could care less about the answer. But, but really, really, the idea of the evening, of both evenings, is to ask questions, answer questions. And my evening had a lot of questions. I think I would blow your mind. Not everybody, not my mother. She knows. But if everybody else, um, we start... 9.30, quarter to 10, till we get rolling, it's 11 o'clock. Uh, both nights we finished meal, questions, singing, 3 o'clock in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, and, and we had a good time. Those children who want to go to sleep early or adults who've had enough, they sort of slide away, and we just keep going, and we, have, we had a great time. I think in the middle of the second night I said, you know what? Anyone who has questions about the 10 plagues, go for it. And we spent the next half hour, 45 minutes, they asked, and I answered. And they, you know, they think they have their brilliant questions, and they're probably pretty good questions, but it helps that I know most of the answers. And, they'll, and what's even more fascinating is that you have children that study a lot and learn a lot, and sometimes if they would just be better versed is probably not a good English word, but more well versed 
in the actual in the actual text of the Bible of the Torah, they would realize they know all the answers. It's really all there. You just have to be well versed. Hey, verse, I guess a pun. Anyways, so that was uh, the beginning of the week. We've uh, had a great time with children, grandchildren, every day. They're on vacation, so every day you got to take them somewhere. So the Detroit Zoo was, um, what day was that? That was Monday. That was great. Beautiful weather, mid-70s, a little cooler than the studio, but okay. Um, I went to the zoo, grandchildren, children, they changed their rules over there. You know, I love the Detroit Zoo, but it used to be two adults and six children. Now it's two adults and four children. But they let you add, and they raise their prices. I don't know. I had to buy two memberships, add people on. We had a whole crew. We thought a group rate would be better, but it didn't seem to matter. So we just bought the, but all those went around. Come on, you gotta love penguins and butterflies, and then the kids wanted real animals and lions and rhinoceros. It was fantastic. Second day, we went down to Toledo, great place, Kosai Hanzo Museum. That's easier. See, they, they're set up for a guy like me. They have the grandfather plan, which basically, hey, there's a lot of free advertising here. Somebody's going to have to take care of this. Um, in any case, um, the grandparent plan basically lets you get anybody under 18 in, and then the first time you buy the membership, you get, like, two free adults and another adult. Somehow we get everybody in. But just uh, for your important information, um, when they say they're giving you free parking, it's not in every single parking lot. And different parking lots have different ways of knowing that you went to COSI. So they gave me a sticker on my parking ticket. And uh, when I went to pay by the parking garage, they said, oh, no, we're supposed to have a stamp. We're not the sticker parking garage. Oh, thank you very much. And it's also only Saturday and Sunday, and today is it was probably Tuesday. So it's not free anyways. Okay, just here's my credit card. Just let's go. Yesterday was simple. Yesterday, quick bowling. And today, the kids went to the amusement park. And uh, that's been all that entertainment, lots of fun entertainment, lots of uh, having a time with the kids. It's just a great time. The kids are on vacation. That's what you're supposed to do. You, you bond. You hang out. My wife would rather be home. I would rather take the children on trips. You have a good time with everybody. You enjoy with everybody. You bond with everybody. It's, it's one of the beautiful things about holidays. It's not just that you have a couple days off work. It's a time to be with the children. It's fantastic. And then we get to the end of the holiday that starts tonight. Um, it'll be Friday. It'll be Saturday. And then we'll be back to the regular world. So hopefully we're all familiar by now that the beginning of the holiday was leaving Egypt. So what happened at the end of the holiday? What's going on? What's going on? That there's a, another, it's like a week-long holiday with these, what we'll call intermediary days, which are semi-quasi-holiday. You can't do everything, but most things are, uh, are good. Good, you're not eating any, any bread. But for the most part, it's being treated like a regular weekday, not to get life too complicated. The beginning is holiday, similar to Sabbath. The end is holiday, similar to Sabbath. So what happened at the, on the last day? So the last day is the parting or the splitting of the Red Sea. So let's take some time. We got some time to the next segment. Let's, let's get through the story. So, the, so Moses had told Pharaoh way early on 
that the Jewish people are going for three days to bring sacrifices. We've been out in the desert more than three days, and we're not bringing any sacrifices yet. That's going to happen way later. And the truth is, God is not sending us back anyways. So what's the deal? So we talked about it, that uh, to tell Pharaoh we're going permanently, he'd never let us go. This way he'd let us go. And, uh, and again, it was part of the plan. We're going to borrow gold and silver, and the Egyptians will get nervous. How come we're not coming back? And they're going to become very forgetful. Um, the verse says that Pharaoh and his uh, people are discussing, mind you, this is a week, not even after the 10th plague, the, the death of the firstborn, and all of a sudden Pharaoh and his advisors are trying to figure out, why did we let the Jewish people go? What were we thinking? I mean, uh, you were thinking that your country was destroyed. There were 10 plagues. You didn't want your own, you were upset your own firstborn died. You didn't want to die. Um, the country threw us out, and now you don't remember a week later why you thought it was important to send us out and you want us back? Like, what gives? What gives is God put a, a little bug in their brains to convince them that they should chase us. So you got to get the army together. The problem is that you've lost a lot of animals in all these plagues. Right? They're not putting gas in the tank. They got to get horses for the chariots. So where are these horses for the chariots coming from? So, again, you can look at the verses. It's fairly straightforward. Um, by the last couple plagues, if your animals were in a barn or in your house, right? We've said that joke a couple times. If the animals are in your house or in your garage or in your corral, not a corral, but it has to be like in a building or in a barn, not that Egypt is going to have that many barns. They don't have bad weather. But if you had your animals in some type of building, the animals survived the plague. That was the deal. So think about it for a second. The only people that would bring their animals into a house or into a barn or into some type of building were people that were afraid of God. Because God said, if you bring your animals in through Moses, right? If you bring your animals inside, the animal will live. If you keep your animal outside, the animal will die. And I'm sure that that's exactly what happened because they let us out, right? That's what the plague says. So now Pharaoh needs horses for his army of chariots. So the only people that have horses are people that were afraid of God. And now those people are going ahead and giving their animals, their horses, to the Pharaoh to technically fight God. So you were afraid of God, and now you're giving your horse to fight God. So either you weren't very afraid, right, or your fear was just to try, you know, to, I guess, uh, hedge your bets, as you would say. So even the Egyptians that, uh, that were afraid of God weren't such uh, good friends of the Jewish people either. That's for sure. So Pharaoh's going to collect these, all these horses. He's going to have his army. His, uh, his, uh, it's interesting. The verse says he had 600 elite chariots. I have no idea what an elite chariot is. Plus, he had many other chariots, but that made him a world power. I don't know how many tanks a country needs nowadays to be considered a world power. Probably thousands. Um, and you have to decide if tanks are the uh, what would make you a world power, because we can blow them up from the sky nowadays. But um, in any case, Pharaoh's a world power. The next world power we hear about is uh, is when the Jewish people are already in the land of Israel and there's a Canaan king and his general, Sisera, and he has 900 steel chariots. 
So this 600 chariots is a massive, and that's his good chariots, plus many others, that's his massive tanks, and he's going to get his country out, and they are going to chase after what's happening with the Jewish people. In the meanwhile, the Jewish people traveled. They went out. They were up to the desert. And then God tells Moses, tell the Jewish people we're turning around. We're going to camp by the Red Sea. So I always wondered, like, it's not going to help me escaping to the desert. What's that going to help? If I, uh, they're going to chase after me with their army, so they'll chase a little further. We're millions of people. How fast are we going already? So um, the commentaries explain, I believe Nachmanides explains, if we would have gotten further out into the desert, then neighboring countries would have come to our aid. We're close enough. We're millions of people. They don't like the Egyptians anyways. They'll come out with their armies to fight the Egyptians because now there's people with them. Once we're going to travel back towards the Red Sea, so now already they're not coming to our aid because they don't trust us. Who knows if we're really fighting, if we're confused, who knows what's with us. So we head back towards the Red Sea, and, and God picked a fascinating place. It said by the plague of the firstborn, all the idols were destroyed except for one. The one idol left standing happened to be the idol that was situated right above the Red Sea. That way, it was all like, you know, to push people's buttons, right? God's going to see how far you can go. He's going he's gonna to allow yourself to be fooled if you so choose. So, um, so therefore, the place we park is by this idol happens to be called Baltzafon. So we're, we're camped by the Red Sea. There's this big idol there. There's towers there. It seems they used to, to shoot enemies from, I guess it was some type of guardhouse at the beginning of Egypt. And the Egyptian army is now coming. And it's coming with the horses and chariots. And it's going through the desert. So there's this humongous cloud of sand that's floating, clouds of sand floating in the air. And uh, the Jewish people see it. And they get nervous. Some people want to pray, some people want to fight, some people want to give up. No one knows what to do. Moses starts to pray to God. God says to Moses, now is not the time for prayer. Now is the time for action. Even though, generally speaking, the power for the Jewish people is through their mouths, through prayer. But this time, God tells Moses, you got to march into the sea. First, march into the sea. Once you show that you're willing to march in and it didn't split. So now that now you deserve that the sea should split. So Moses gives the announcement, and believe it or not, there was fighting. Who should go first? I'm more honorable. My tribe is more honorable. Who says you should go first? The bottom line is the prince of the tribe of Judah jumps in first, but the tribe of Benjamin as a tribe go in first. And there's numerous miracles. If you remember the Haggadah, it's debatable. Whatever amount of plagues were in Egypt, it was five times more by the Red Sea. So if it was 10 in Egypt, it was 50 by the Red Sea. If every plague was made up of four parts, four plagues, so it's really 40 in Egypt, so it's 200 in on the Red Sea. If it's every plague is made up of five parts, and there's all verses where this comes from. But you remember this because you were paying attention as you were zipping through the end of the book. Um, yeah, whatever. So... Um, so that's 250 by the Red Sea. In any case, it's going to be many, and we don't know what they were, by the way, many miracles. So the first miracle is there's 12 tunnels, 12 individual tunnels. Each tribe gets a tunnel um, through the walls they could see. Um, it was clear glass. My kids asked me, like, what happened to a fish that was in the middle of the wall? I said, 
the fish stayed in the water. It's not like a fish was half in the water and half out the water when it split. Like, that's no big deal. So the, the, the ground sort of raises up. In other words, we didn't have to walk all the way deep into the ocean. The water actually became hard. It became like marble, and there was trees growing, and you, there was water fountains, and, and it was, uh, I guess, just a very pleasant stroll through the middle of a sea. Now, I don't know if you guys go back this far. When I was a kid, there was this great cartoon called um, Roadrunner. Nobody here can know Roadrunner. Oh, you know Roadrunner? Roadrunner is like ancient. That's like the beginning. And there was no talking even. So for those who know it, good. If you don't know it, yeah, the coyote, and he always tries to get the Roadrunner. And the Roadrunner would constantly, it could be it was the same cartoon over and over again, but he would run off the cliff, and the coyote would file him off the cliff, and then the Roadrunner would step back on the cliff, and the coyote would fall down this cliff, which was always thousands of feet. Like, he never picked a cliff that was like 10 feet off the ground. It always had to be like a, a thousand feet in the air. So the question I always wondered was, like, what is this coyote thinking? Just because the roadrunner has a trick to step into the air, why do you think you could do it? Okay, so but that's the cartoon. But Pharaoh's doing the same thing, right? He sees this miracle. The Jewish people are walking into the sea. Tunnels are raised from all over the place. Why do you think that you could walk in? I don't know why he thought that way, but he did. And he brings his entire army with him. And they don't have such a good time. All of a sudden, the mud gets hot, and there's noise, and the, and, the, and the chariots are getting bounced around, and eventually the Jewish people will get out of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army will be in the Red Sea, and the Red Sea will completely collapse on the Egyptians. And there comes my music. So we tried to quickly get you through what happened with the, tomorrow's holiday represents what we just talked about. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Alan Goldsmith. So we're going to be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the bat cemetery. It's got a cord. I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. Can that itch be caused by stress? Now we already know that stress can increase your odds of everything from colds to cancer. And now there's new research to suggest that stress can also make you itch. You see, it seems clear that stress activity is the immune system of mice, making them itch, and the experts say the same is probably true for humans. The study from the University of Medicine in Berlin and McMaster University in Canada found that stress can exacerbate skin disease by increasing the number of immune cells in the skin. Now, these immune cells are believed responsible for initiating and perpetuating skin diseases that can make you itch. The report in the American Journal of Pathology indicates that doctors were able to prevent stress-induced increases in white blood cells in the skin 
by blocking the function of the proteins that attract these immune cells to the skin in the first place. Now, more work is certain to come in this area of research. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And as promised, special guest, Alan Goldsmith, founder of the Jewish Renaissance Foundation, author of The Five Cent Miracle. Alan, how are you today? I'm doing very well, Rabbi. Good. Can we hear? We got to boost up the sound a little bit because you're a little bit faded back. Let's see. Let's try again. Alan, try again. Okay. I'm um, Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, now I hear you. I hope you can hear me now. <laughs> now I can hear you. I'm so excited to talk to you. Rachel okay. Beck, of course, says hello because, you know, she must love you. I don't know how she knows so many people. <laughs> She's a very lovely lady. Yes, and, lovely. My, and my mechutin, Rabbi I Gruskin, mm-hmm. is all excited we're talking, and he told me all kinds of stories. We're going to get into some of them. But before Uh-oh. we even... <laughs> okay. Okay, good. Before we even start, though... Who is Alan Goldsmith? Alan Goldsmith is uh, a person who gone up th- through, uh, through the public school system um, and um, went into college. Got a, I went through, got a Ph.D., went into the Peace Corps, uh, was on football scholarships, um, believe it or not, a little Jewish boy like me. And... Um, and uh, started teaching for a while. Um, my father became ill, and my father had a shoe store. Um, so um, I left teaching and helped him out uh, for three years until um, all of a sudden he had, he had passed away. And then I started the Jewish Renaissance Foundation. I was involved in, in Chesed and Zedaka, and, uh, and that's what I wanted to do, especially in the healthcare industry. It, 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 my own family. Um, had my sister became blind in one eye and she didn't have insurance so that's the whole kind of me and I look at it and through through my my lifetime I always felt that uh, Hashem has always been there for me protecting me and if I'm not that good he gives me a patch and talk also yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> Good, I got it. So just to get just to get us rolling, your your book, the Five Cent Miracle. I know when we talked, you said if I want to know all about you, I got to read your book. It is a easy, fast read with a lot of really great stuff. But let's. It's called the Five Cent Miracle. What is the story of the Five Cent Miracle? Um, it's it's about my Zadie. Um, my Zadie um, was born in Minsk. Um, he had eight brothers and sisters who were all murdered in the Holocaust. He came here, um, and he was a very big, um, he with, with Chesed and, and Zedakah. And so for Shabbos, and we, my, my family lived right around the corner from my, my grandfather in Perth Amboy. And so uh, my sister and I would, would go there for Shabbos. And so my, grandf- and my grandfather was a, a, a barber. Um, and so... I got up to the porch, and and my 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 says, "Come to come to Boychip. And I said, "Okay, Gramp, what, what's going on?" He says, "Hold out your hand." So I held out my hand, and he put a nickel there. And I said, "Gramp, what is this for, Zadie? What is this for?" And he says, "Come, come, we're gonna go get you candy." 
Um, so he took my hand, and we started going uh, around the corner, and also we stopped far enough away so that no one could hear, and there I saw a man in a wheelchair um, with no legs, brown pants were like tucked underneath. He had a, uh, um, uh, like a cup and, and pencils. So my Zadie looks down at me and says, Boychuk, what are you going to do with your nickel? I said, oh, crap. And by the way, this took place about 1956. So a nickel was, I could get a lot of candy for a nickel. Yeah. Five years of five, especially at, at five or six years old. So, and, and especially the ones with the dots on the paper, you know, I, I, oh. I would eat the whole thing. But anyway, uh, my, my, um, I, and I know what my grandfather wanted me to do, to give him my nickel. So, and I said, I, I'd rather get a pat on the, on the head and, and a kiss on the cheek from Zadie. So I said, okay, Grandpa, I'll give him my nickel. He said, good, 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 good boy. So he took my hand, and we started walking, and I put the nickel into the cup. And the man looks at me and says, thank you, young man. And he looks at my grandfather, and he says, you're truly teaching the ways of the Almighty. My grandfather always had his hat on. Um, um, so he, my grandfather nodded, and he always taught us, if you're giving us a duck up, put it in an envelope put it under the door and run away. And so um, I took my hand and we kept on walking. And then all of a sudden I felt something wet on my cheek. And I looked up, I said, Zadie, Zadie, I, I gave him my nickel. <laughs> what are you crying for? So he says, these aren't tears of sorrow, but tears of joy. And he pointed to my heart. He says, a pintalayid, a pintalatoya. He says, you just lit one candle. And one candle can light thousands and thousands more. And because you gave him your nickel, Here's another nickel, I'm going to get you candy. And that stayed with me my whole life. And it was almost my, my, my calling. Because what we're doing now with, with everything that I'm, that I'm doing um, with our Jewish Renaissance Medical Centers, our, our foundation, um, which is also a, a medical center, um, and we're doing a lot of work overseas, um, we're treating uh, that one candle is treating millions of people that, that we are doing, we're working with now and treating them and helping them. It is unbelievable. So, and we're going to get to your foundation, but it's unbelievable. Can, can you imagine that your grandfather, obviously he set you up with the nickel and he wanted you, he, want, he was hoping that you would know what to do and you didn't know you were going to get another nickel back. But do you think he even ever dreamt that his grandson would take the lesson and touch Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives? Um, no. I know he was teaching me lessons. He always does. And, um, and you're right. Uh, I think he's looking down at me now with a smile and saying, <laughs> good, you know, come to Rhine. Good yeah. boy. Good boy. Good boy. No. Unbelievable. Not that it's as important, but there was like a funny story. And yes, you're probably about my size, and I don't play football, but you did play football. <laughs> and you had the high school st uh, football story. I guess we'll call it a good luck charm with the yarmulke. What was that story with your high so, school? So I always, I, 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 you know, I always felt, um, and, and, and my, my, Zadie always taught me about uh, David Amelech and, and all the trials and tribulations he went, and especially with David and Goliath. So... I always felt, okay, I need the protection of the Almighty, so I'm going to put my yarmulke in my, in my helmet. And then the, one of the guys says, what is that? What is that? I, said, I, tell you, I was the only Jewish boy on, on the football team. And, this, and, and so I, I said, this is the yarmulke. This, you know, it, it, just, it, it covers my head, and it distinguishes me also from the Almighty. And, and, that. 
And so he says, I want one. And then another one says, I want one. And by the time we were done, the whole team had yarmulkes on. And they all had it underneath their helmet. Now, it started to get kind of dirty after a while as all the games we started to, we were playing. And so I, we were going to take it out and, and, and I, I'd give them new ones. And so the coach says, oh, no, oh, no, you can't take that. This is the lucky ones. <laughs> it was like a mezuzah that was on our door. No, these are the lucky ones, and you got to wear them the whole year. And we wore the, the yarmulkes the whole year. And guess what? Our football season was undefeated the whole year. Now, you just want to, were you a senior that year, or are you trying it again next year? year. Weren't so yeah. successful. Uh, yeah, we were sen- I was a senior that year. Uh, and then went on to a football scholarship into a small um, um, college um, in, in Missouri and played there. Amazing. Not too many. You know, my grandfather and great-grandfather were boxers, but, but no, nobody was in football. That didn't happen. <laughs> well, let me tell you a quick story to, 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 to talk about this. Um, my, our football team, I, I, we were play- I was playing over, and our own team, guys that were 325 pounds, our defensive, our, our end was, was 300, uh, was uh, 6'6", 285 pounds. And, and, and uh, me, I'm 5'6", 175 pounds. And a story in college when I was playing against this guy, I, and we were playing against the University of Nebraska's uh, farm team, more or less. And the guy I played over for three years, his name was Cooper. He, weighed, he was 285 pounds, 6'7". <laughs> and I figured, okay. What would he do at this, at this particular? And so I said, well, I'm quicker than him. So the first year I shot out, and I would always hit him first, but guess what? He would just push me off. But that didn't work. The second year I was going to do a body block. I, that has to work. Same thing, that didn't work. The third year, if you're a defensive player, if anyone's listening, you follow the, the, the offensive person's head, and then I did a reverse body block. And he didn't, he didn't make a tackle. So he comes over to me, and by the way, he was recruited um, by, by Detroit, uh, and as a first-round draft pick for defensive end. And he comes over to me and, and says, Goldsmith? Uh, I said, uh-oh, what now? <laughs> the guy's six foot six, I'm five, five, six. Um, and he says, Goldsmith, you are one of the toughest players I ever played against. And I said, oh, I looked at him and I said, Coop, why didn't you tell me that three years ago when you were beating the hell out of me? And at least I would have felt good then, you know? But... And I always look at this. We have obstacles in our lives, and if and and if, if they're put there, and and it's for a good cause, and if it's something that that'll be worthwhile, then Hashem will help you get over that obstacle. Me playing football, um, I I also when I was young uh, at the YMHA, I, I was judo, uh, and, and and I really enjoyed that, and I was more or less the protector of the of the Jewish boys <laughs> in 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 school. So no one would, would bother bother them. I mean, it wasn't always the greatest situation. Um, but there's always a situation that I know that Hashem is leading me on that path, the Derek Hashem. Yeah, and you've, you've built a path, and we're getting close to a break. So we're going to talk about the Jewish Renaissance Foundation after the break. But I'm going to try in about 40 seconds. Um, my Mechutin told me that you were driving your sports car one time with him next to you, and you saw somebody in the shoe store. What'd you do with your... Remember, my, my, my Mechutin looks like me, right? So what'd you do with your sports car when you had to drop him off? Well, I told him, I said, someone was in front of the shoe store. I said, look, I got to go, Rabbi. Here, get over here and take, and, and take the wheel, because I was taking him to the post office. He said, no, no, I don't. I said, yes, you know how to drive. Take it. And I ran out of the car, and he took the car to the post office. And as he got out of the post office... 
the conservative rabbi was there. He was only he's only around for like um, six weeks um, at the yeshiva that, that that we established in Prince Amboy. And the guys look at him and he says, "What? Six weeks and the man is driving a, a Corvette? I got to get a job like that." <laughs> and then and then he takes the takes the car back and he tells and he drives it, puts it in the back, and he tells me the story about the, the rabbi. What he is there another job open available? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I didn't Alan. realize that. I didn't realize that 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 that, that, that might have put him in a, in, in 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 a difficult situation. I think he likes the story, and he's good with stories. Alan. Hold through the break, please. When we come back, we're joined by Alan Goldsmith. We're going to learn all about the Jewish Renaissance Foundation, why it's called Jewish, what it does, what it accomplishes. You're listening to Let's Talk to Rabbi Tzvi, and we'll be right back. I'll tell you what happened. G'day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. But your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market. All by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Surfing the internet can be good for your brain, especially if you're getting up there in years. UCLA scientists say that the internet searching helps to stimulate your brain function by triggering centers in your brain that control decision-making and complex reasoning. In a study to be published in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry, the researchers say that using the internet to seek out new information might stimulate the brain enough to sustain brain health and your cognitive ability. Before the computer age, the one activity that was linked to an active mind was solving crossword puzzles. The fact that even simple tasks like searching the internet might enhance your brain circuitry suggests that our brains are really sensitive to mental exercise and actually continue to learn as we grow older. So using an internet search engine such as Google produces the same brain activities as reading, but it also increases activity in areas of your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back. So I gave you a little taste of uh, my friend Alan Goldsmith, but now you gotta you gotta hear what one person, one candle can accomplish. Alan, are you still there? I'm holding on, Rabbi. Yes, I am. Okay, great. So let's talk. What is the Jewish Renaissance Foundation? What is it? What do you do? Who do you help? What's what's going on with that? So. Um the way it was started, um, and I'm going to go regress a little bit uh, where, where the book talks about. Sure. And I, I was coaching um, at my uh, alma mater football uh, in Missouri, and I was at a party. I was drinking, which I shouldn't have done. And at that sports car that I had, I was going somewhere else, and, uh, and I was with somebody else. And um, I was going about 85 miles an hour, which I shouldn't have done out in Missouri, these, these streets. And I must have passed out. And the car turned over, uh, 
the, the, the person and myself didn't even have a scratch on me. They put the they they, they piled the car because it was like a Corvette on on top of each other. It was it was unbelievable. But when I woke up, the first thing that I said was, "I promised the Almighty I would keep his doors open." I had no idea what that meant. No idea. And I was showing when my father passed away, and I was saying Kaddish. Um, the, the shul wanted me to. I was the youngest at that time, 36, in the congregation, and they wanted me to be president. I said, ah, this is maybe what the Almighty wanted me to do. So I, be, I did that. And then um, uh, I met Rabbi Grosvenor and Mahatunim, and we talked. I called it the $18 yeshiva because he came in for a donation uh, to me, and um, we started uh, um, a yeshiva right, right in Perth Amboy with, with Rabbi Reich. And um, then... I, my sister became blind in one eye, and we didn't have any insurance. My, my sister didn't have any insurance, and my mother finally told me. So I had a friend who was a doctor, and he said, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Bring her up, I'm not going to charge anything. And um, so he says, you really have to get an MRI. And I had a friend, um, a Hasidic friend, that had an MRI in uh, Baltimore. And so he said, don't worry, don't worry. Um, um, come down, and I took my sister there. And then, as the Almighty works in many different ways, her blindness went away. And Rabbi Greskin had a uh, his cousin, I guess, is a neurosurgeon in in Detroit, and right. he said he would do any type of surgery that would needed, um, and um, if, if if need be. But uh, when we went back to uh, the, uh, the the neurologist, he says I have good news and bad news. He says the good news is you don't have a brain tumor. The bad news, since the, it went away, is that um, you may have late nemesis and hospital. And to this day, she's she's fine. And I said, you know, if this happens, you know, I really want to do something. And I came up with this plan, which is called Operation Lifeline um, USA. And I named it the Jewish Renaissance Foundation because I wanted everybody to know um, that Yidam help everybody. Um, it, 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 it's, it's something that that that, that, that touches my heart, and people don't realize that. And so, um, my um, we started to recruit doctors, and we had over 100 doctors. We had all kinds of dentists, and that started the Jewish Renaissance Foundation. Then we I, I wrote a lot of grants to get other funding for different type of programs, and um, we decided that um, we were chosen by by HRSA, which is the the government to do what was called a social reconnaissance, which is a what's going on in your community. And they told us more or less that that, um, that there could be a one-stop shop. And that's where I then applied, applied for a federally qualified health care center, which helps uh, people that are insured and uninsured. And we got that, and now I have a, a 50,000-square-foot facility in Perth Amboy um, that we see about close to 80,000 encounters a year. <laughs> we have, we're have we the largest school-based health centers in the state of New Jersey. They're all in Newark. Um, the foundation does all kinds of, uh, we have a family success center, community action agency. These are all agencies that help people in different ways. As a community action agency, if people couldn't afford the rent, um, we can help them with that. Um, if uh, we help to do their taxes, um, and we we help even with with burials because uh, especially with our our our, um, our employees we, we make sure that 
Um, we, uh, we we take care of them. That God forbid something happens, they don't have money to pay for funerals or or whatever other expenses that they have. We do international work. We worked with. Um, uh, the Israeli IDF in the medical field. They were training us right after uh, 9/11, um, and we, uh, we we did we, we did that. Um, there is a, an organization that um, would would have our doctors have medical license from Israel. And God forbid there was a war, most of the doctors would go into their battalions, and, and then then they would fill that position. Um, but so, it's not only Israel. You've been in other countries. We, we're right now. I'm working. I, w- I was a goodwill ambassador at the United Nations. We have consultant status now with the United Nations. We need a lot of help because they are so anti-Semitic there. It's 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 ridiculous. But that's why I'm there to at least to have a voice. And I'm working with the ambassador from uh, Dominican Republic, um, where they look like to give me a, um, a, a hospital, but it'll be inpatient. And to I'm going to model it after our FQHC, which we only do primary care. In other words, we do OBGYN, uh, internal medicine, pediatric. We have a residency program there, and we have a big dental program and behavioral health. Um, and then he's on the executive team in the United Nations, and, and, then, and then come back. It's an interesting story. I met with one of the, the, uh, the ambassadors from Israel um, in New York, and this is in New York. And, and so um, uh, we, we were talking about doing some stuff with them and this and that, and we were going to formulate an organization like Global Initiative. He says, no, no. I want you to be the Jewish Renaissance Foundation. I want everybody to know you're Jewish and what you're doing. So whichever way we can help Israel, and, and uh, especially at the U.N., because they're always trying to do something uh, anti-American, and they put human rights people like, uh, like Syria and Iran on, on, on these committees. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. So you know, basically, as much as we can do, whatever chesed we can do, people call me, um, and if they needed help, and we can provide that service, there's no charge. We have charity care at, the, at, at our medical centers. It's part of the federal program that we have. Right. People have to understand, this is, um, this is not just a medical center for Jewish people. This is for everybody. This is for all walks of life. Correct, correct. We get people from all over, um, and it's a funny thing because um, when, um, when the feds came in and said, oh, this is Jewish, Jewish Renaissance, hmm, you know, maybe you should change it to Renaissance so you, know, so you get more people to come. And I said to the, to the guy, I said, uh, listen, maybe you should say that to, you know, uh, St. Michael's Hospital or, or St. Joseph's Hospital or St. Peter's Hospital because maybe there are too many Catholics. And he looked at me and says, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Well done. (laughs) Well done. So, you know, you mentioned Syria. And, you know, I speak to, we talk about Rabbi Gruskin before. And you tell me if you can say over this story. But he said you were involved in something with a Druze village that you had to get uh, some politicians involved. What was that story? So, um... So Rabbi Gruskin knew these 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 gentlemen. Uh, they have businesses here. Uh, one was in Perth Amboy, and one was somewhere else. And uh, ISIS went ahead and um, raided their village, c- killed over 200 men, and they captured women and children, over 30 people. Um, and they no there was no publicity uh, on the TV. No one knew about this. Um, and so Rabbi Gresson says, well, well, talk to Avram Yosef, talk to me, and, and, and maybe he can help. And so we sat down with them, and I brought in uh, Congressman Pallone 
from New Jersey, and, um, and his chief of staff was there. And we, we told him about the story, that the people were there. Um, he wrote a letter and got other uh, Jewish community throughout the country, congressmen, to write a letter. And they, they got back uh, through some uh, political intervention. Um, um, most of the uh, the captured uh, children and women from from ISIS that they had. So, um, and I, you know what, I, I, you know, like I said, I know what what I do. It comes from above, and I always have a story that a life is li- worth living if it's lived to help others. And if you do something that's going to help people, I know, and it, maybe I'm too spiritual, or uh, I just know that the Abishter is there and he's always looking and protecting us. And and these are some of the things that I see. I'm not myopic all the time, but I know that the, the, the Almighty is there. Um, I always had one of the, one of the, 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 the piece of Tillim where it says you need a, the Yamuna and, and Betochen, um, you know, faith and trust in the Almighty, and you can cast your burden uh, onto the Almighty because he, he's our salvation. And I, always, and I always look at it that way. Sooner or later, if I can't do it one way, I'll try to help in a different way. You know, so I, I, Alan, I always tell people, you know, I call them up. I, besides that, I'm a teacher. I'm also a fundraiser, like by Mechutin. And people always say they're busy. And I always respond to them. I say, I, if you weren't busy, I probably wouldn't want to talk to you. Because the busy people get so much done. So if I asked you, how does one person do so much? Because I think one of our goals in the conversation was to tell people that one person could accomplish amazing things. How does one person do so much? I just think you have to have confidence and faith in what you look, what you want to accomplish. And no matter what obstacle and what things come in front of me, there were a lot of obstacles that came in front of me. I knew sooner or later I was going to get to the to the to the goal line and get and, and score that touchdown. And um, and you can do it. Uh, there's all different ways of going about it. Never quit. If it's a dream, and it, and if it's a Derek Hashem that 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 the Almighty is putting in front of you, not only can you try different ways to do it, but the Almighty. I always say, because I'm so short, that there's a big rock in front of me and I'm trying to get over it. And that's the obstacle. And if I can't, I know I'm going to get a little push from the Almighty to get me over over that that rock. So whatever you can do, you can do it. it, it it's it's it, it's something that um, you're doing to better uh, humanity, and um, I, I, that's the way to go. You're amazing. Um... If you'd like, first of all, everyone, if you want to check out the book, Five Cent Miracle, you can get it on Amazon, easy as app pie to pick it up. I myself picked it up. Alan, you should be honored. Um, most people that I interview, they must send me their book. You're the only one that I said I'm buying the book myself. So I actually bought your book, okay? <laughs> Thank you so much. So, I appreciate that. That, 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 uh, that deducker from the book is going to Rabbi Gruskin. <laughs> Good. And tell him that you got it from me. That's yeah, what you appreciate. <laughs> 30 seconds, Alan. Would you like to leave us with something? I, I, again, um, our motto through um, all our, um, our, our organization is B'Levechad uh, B'Echad. Uh, that we're that we all have um, uh, we're one people with one heart and um, and that's the way I go about doing it. Whatever help, whatever help, whatever you can do to help somebody, and it doesn't have to do something like I'm doing. It could be a small thing, 
And do you, ha- do you have a little bit more time? Well, they'll give me an extra minute if I need. Sure, go for it. Real quickly, um, a man came into my office and he said to me, uh, Dr. Goldsmith, I, I, uh, I need $100. I was all over, and they sent me to you. And I'm saying, oh, what is this guy going to do? You know, is he going to use it for drugs or whatever? And uh, he says, I need it for my rent because I only work, you know, um, nine, nine months a year, this and that. I said, all right, here's $100. But I, I, uh, and he said, don't worry, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back. So he's, I, I said, no, I don't want you to pay me back because I don't know if I was really going to get paid. <laughs> I want you to help somebody like I'm helping you. doesn't mean that you have to, uh, you know, pay him, give him money or anything. I just want you to help somebody. He says, really? That's I said, yes. But you have to call me and let me know what you did. He says, okay. And a month went by, another month, I didn't think anything of it. Then finally I got a call from Johnny. Johnny says, Dr. G, I paid my debt. He says, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? And he says, um, I, well, I was in the supermarket, and this lady dropped her, her bag. She was in like a wheeler. And I said, oh, is that what my $100 is going to get me? He says, no, 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 no. He says, and she told me how hard it was to get up her steps because she, does, she, she, she has that walker. And if she only had uh, like a ramp, and I built her that ramp. And I says, and 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 I had tears in my eyes, and and he says, my my debt is paid, and he says, yes, it is, it's it's far paid. Says, the story doesn't end there. The lady a month later calls me up, and says, you don't know me, but Johnny built me a ramp and told me what you did, and what I did because of that, I typed braille and I gave uh, typed braille for a whole month free to give to the to the library. So a little thing. It, that you might do can carry on always pay forward pay it forward it is amazing alan thank you for sharing that story you're you are a and a a great lesson for people i hope people learn from you i hope you enjoy the rest of passover the rest of pesach enjoy um and say hello to rabbi griskin for me I definitely will. Thank you so much for having me on the program. Okay, be well. Okay, we got one segment left. They gave us a few minutes, so we're not going to have to come back. So we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, Podquesters, where we fight through imaginary battles and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic sweeping adventure. We try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on NewRadioMedia.com, Fridays, Podquesters. See you there. At times we see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into a hobble. Get yeah. umped. I mean, that's the... <laughs> get umped. <laughs> I can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. Yeah, what's up? This is your boy, Walter Jones, also known as Zach, the original Black Ranger, and you are geeking out with Geektainment Weekly at New Radio Media. It's worth the time. The BG song, Staying Alive, just might help someone you know stay alive. It's one of those beats you just can't get out of your head once it's there. And it turns out the disco song has 103 beats per minute which happens to be the perfect number to maintain the rhythm for performing CPR. A study out of Illinois found that doctors and medical students who listened to the song while they were practicing CPR not only performed flawlessly, but they also remembered the technique five weeks later. The keys to CPR are performing the technique aggressively, 
that is pushing hard enough and pushing on the chest fast enough to force the blood to where it needs to go. So when it comes to proper technique, it turns out that compressing the chest to the beat of staying alive really can help the victim stay alive. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. I didn't know it was possible to change my state of mind. Smile and watch the whole world smile. And we're back. I hope you like my smile song. I think I embarrassed all my children with that song yesterday. Um, we went to a bowling alley, but it's early afternoon. Empty parking lot. So I have the music in the car. And they're getting out, and I, instead of turning off the car, I blast the music, roll down the windows, so the children get embarrassed. There's no one to be embarrassed. There's no one in the parking lot. And they're going in, and they're already in the bowling alley, and I'm just rocking away in the car, singing this song. My other kids pull up in the next car. Finally, my daughter came and turned off the car. Either they wanted to bowl, or they didn't want to get embarrassed. I'm, I'm not sure which one, but in any case, according to my calculation, it is time to restart the Jewish alphabet. And Kelsey is ready. We are up to the first letter. It's funny to say up to. But yeah, we're round probably four ready by now. Three or four. But it's time to restart the Jewish alphabet. We are up to the letter Aleph. Which, by the way, sounds interesting because alphabet. So alpha, which is the Greek word for the first letter. And bet, that's really the first two letters of the Jewish alphabet. I, I can't tell you if the shapes are similar or not. People may say yes, may say no. But it is, it is interesting that many alphabets, right? Like in English, we're going to the alphabet. Your first letter is A, your next letter is B, right? Not alphabet. That's really a Greek word. But the truth is alpha and aleph obviously sound the same. It's the same idea. The first letter in the Jewish alphabet is the aleph. Its numerical value is one. And interesting enough, it makes no sound on its own. In other words, it works like a vowel. You have to put some type of dot or dash underneath it to give it a sound, E, uh, O, whichever sounds we make as vowels. So on its own, it has no sound. It's a pretty interesting, it's also a pretty interesting looking letter. Um, actually, my iPhone, when it does my, my news, for some reason, the, the icon for it, whatever you call it, I'm sure you don't call it an icon, whatever it's called, um, actually looks like an aleph, but I'm not sure why. But in any case, uh, my word this week is adon. Adon means master. And it's a, it's a good way to start. We're, we're, we're just finishing up Passover. We, we, the idea was God took us out of slavery, but then God became our master. The idea was that we were slaves to Pharaoh. We're no longer slaves to Pharaoh. Now we're supposed to be slaves to God. And that's my word of the week. And if I can get through this story... I'm not sure if it's a real story. You can decide. Um, it'll give us a good wrap-up with our whole story with Alan Goldsmith this week. City slicker driving his car down some muddy road down south. Car slides off the road, and he's stuck in the mud. And along comes a farmer galloping with his horse. And the farmer says to the city slicker, you know, I could get your car out. My horse here, get out in a jiffy, no problem. And the guy doesn't believe it. And he says, this here, Betsy gets stuff out, no problem. Betsy is the most amazing horse I ever saw. Huh? He ties up Betsy to the car, and he calls out, and he says, uh, he says, okay, uh, Nellie, give a pull. And Betsy's standing there. Nellie, Betsy, wrong name. Then he says, Ranger, come on, give a pull, come on. Again, Betsy's not doing nothing. Nothing's happening over there. And, and then finally he says, okay, Betsy, give a pull. And Betsy starts moving, and the car comes out of the mud in a second. 
So uh, the city slicker says, you know, Mr. Farmer, I appreciate it. You know, I, I tell you, I had my doubts. I wasn't sure that your horse could actually pull it off, but I'm, I, 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 I'm pretty impressed. Uh, but why did you call your horse the wrong name the first couple times? So the farmer says, I tell you the truth. He says, Betsy here is blind, and she doesn't like to work on her own. So as long as she thinks there's other horses pulling, she's got no problem working. As soon as she thinks she's the only one, she's not working. So I pretend there's other horses, and once she thinks that a horse, I can't call her name, out it comes. So um, I, I think the lesson is pretty simple, and that's working with others for others, as we discussed with Alan over our, our, our second and third segment, working for others and with others can, you, can lead to great accomplishments. And uh, things that you can't do on your own, as soon as you partner up with people, you find people to help. I can assure you, read Alan's book. He's not in it on his own. He has lots of people who help him. He's the visionary, but he works with others. He helps others. The story is fantastic. The lesson is fantastic. And we're at the end of my day again. Lots of people to thank. We have so many people here today. It's unbelievable. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team today. We got Tony, Kelsey, Zach, Angel, Cole, Stephanie is back there, I hope, helping. Everybody's got the thumbs up. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk to Our New Radio Media. Until next week, don't forget to think about it.